Good morning, Yvonne Moyes. I'm president of the San Bernardino County Teachers Association, urging a strong yes vote on AB 1505. Thank you. My name is Amaya, and I strongly oppose this bill. Good morning. My name is Theodore Rex. I'm a 30-year veteran, and I strongly oppose this bill. Those were a few of the people lining up on both sides of a heated hearing in Sacramento this week over what was supposed to be a compromise bill in the ongoing charter wars in California. Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. As that snippet of voices from the hearing shows, compromise is still a ways away on Assembly Bill 1505. That's a bill put forward by Assemblyman Patrick O'Donnell and other legislators that, among other provisions, would allow school districts to take the financial impact of a charter school into account in deciding whether to grant it or deny it a petition to open. Taking the lead in the efforts to forge a compromise is Governor Gavin Newsom's office. They're putting a considerable amount of political capital on the line by jumping into this political and education cauldron. Mirna Castrejon, who heads the California Charter School Association, called it an existential threat at a meeting I attended of National Charter School representatives in Las Vegas last week. Strong words indeed. Well, that's how many charter school advocates view the push in the legislature to impose restrictions on charter schools. Governor Newsom says he favors a balanced approach, and that's what was reflected in the compromise provisions. This week, we'll talk about the latest developments on the bill, and we'll also replay some of the arguments both sides made in a hearing on 1505. We'll also hear from Todd Zebarth. He's with the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. I talked with him about what's happening around the country and how California fits into that. But before we go to the national perspective, John, let's focus on California. So, John, why are people so agitated about Assembly Bill 1505? I just referred to it as 1505 in Sacramento shorthand. It is a sweeping bill that O'Donnell proposed. It would deal with pretty much all aspects. It would deal with the authorization of a charter, the right of appeals, how they're renewed, and also deal with credentialing of teachers. Okay, but just let's focus on the most contentious issue, which would allow school districts to take financial impact of a charter school into account, like in big districts like Oakland, which have dozens and dozens of charter schools. In LA, of course, over 200 charter schools. The argument is made that that has had a big impact. And so O'Donnell's original bill would allow districts to take that into account. And so Governor Newsom's advisors were proposing a compromise. What, what was the compromise there? O'Donnell's original bill was to consider financial impact any time, any district, whether or not it's a district that would be the first charter or the one like Oakland that has many. And it would be open-ended as well. The districts could decide what a fiscal impact is. It's very broad and open to interpretation. So the governor turned around and said, well, wait a minute. We're going to narrow that. You can only use fiscal impact as evidence if a charter would substantially undermine a district's services and programs and whether it duplicates what the district's already doing. It also would say in districts like Oakland, which are already financially stressed, you could deny a new charter if, in fact, you could show that this would put you into insolvency. That would apply not too many districts, but it certainly would in the case of Oakland and Inglewood, potentially. One of the people who really support giving districts more leeway to take the financial impact of a charter school into account was Superintendent Cindy Martin from San Diego Unified. This is what she had to say. 
consistent with and expanding on efforts to restore local control, AB 1505 importantly allows districts to consider the fiscal impact that charter schools have on surrounding neighborhood schools. As someone who has had to balance a $1.3 billion budget every year, I can tell you this matters a lot. But John, the compromise that the governor's people are proposing didn't go down too well with the California Charter School Association. They're still opposing it. And it's also true that the so-called compromise proposed by the governor's office would still give districts a fair amount of leeway in denying a charter petition. Yes, that's certainly what the charter schools folks are saying. Unless the legislature defines what's meant by substantially undermining programs, then most any district could deny a charter based on fiscal impact. Another big issue is the extent to which charter schools should be allowed to appeal both to the County Office of Education and the State Board of Education if their petition is denied at the local level. And the original version of O'Donnell's bill would have put some pretty serious limitations. The compromise measure does place some limits on that. That's right. O'Donnell's rationale is that, look, we're under the local control era. School boards should be the final say as to what's good for their community. And in his original bill, he would have eliminated the right of appeal to the state board and would have limited the appeal to the county offices, which is the next step after your charter is denied at a local level. The governor's staff came in and said, not so fast. We'll restrict your ability to go to the state board, but we'll leave the review as it is at the county level. And so O'Donnell is really pushing this point. He wants it the way he originally proposed. So we'll see what happens. So There are various arguments for local control and the fact that you need protections from local control, and we heard that at the hearing before the Senate, Ed. Here again is Cindy Martin talking about why local boards ought to be the final decision maker on charter school applications. Counties should only have the right to override decisions of local authorizers if there's been a clear abuse of discretion. Overturning locally elected decisions makers hurts students, and I'm speaking as someone who recently went through the difficult process of denying a renewal of a charter school that we had previously denied. But our decision was overridden on appeal, which leads to my final point. The charter operated for five years, persistently failing for five years or nearly half of the academic lives of the students there. Students don't get those years back. We have a collective moral obligation to protect them from failures of our system. For a different perspective, let's hear from Caitlin O'Halloran, who is with the Charter Schools Development Center in Sacramento, which helps charter schools start. In 2004, I founded a parent-run charter school in my hometown of Dixon, which is right down the road. I was a 5-0 vote from the local school board and quickly became the highest performing school in the district. When the school came up for renewal the first time, our authorizer presented some highly subjective fiscal arguments that someday our school would substantially undermine the district budget, and they voted 4-1 to non-renew. A few weeks later, when the API scores came out, The Dixon Montessori Charter School was 100 points higher than any other school in the district. Dixon Montessori quickly activated the appeals process, but the process took nearly 10 months. The school had to close because it lost its initial authorization to operate that year. But a year later, under state board reauthorization, it reopened, and today it remains the highest performing school in the district. Proudly, I can tell you that the other schools, the traditional schools in the district, are catching up academically. 
DMCS served as a motivator for excellence as charter schools often do. And I was elected to the Dixon School Board in part so that I could ensure that my community never uses nefarious fiscal arguments to undermine academic excellence ever again. I would encourage this body to follow suit and vote no on 1505. Even under current law, it's too easy to shut down high-performing charter schools. For the sake of academic excellence, please don't make it even easier. So, Lewis, you've heard two different stories. What do you think? Well, I think it underscores the fact that we're still a ways away from the compromise. And just to make this clear, everyone now agrees that this bill still will be revised and that this is going to take a couple of months. So don't expect any resolution of this in the near term. And also, it may be that nobody's going to come out of this completely satisfied. That's the nature of compromise. But I think the fact is that this issue is taking up too much oxygen right now. It really is the biggest issue, most controversial issue on the education reform landscape. And admittedly, 600,000 kids, but it's 10% of the school population. We really should be focusing on the 90%. So I think there's some urgency on all sides to get this issue resolved and to move on. I think the issue of appeals really gets to the point of the mistrust between charter schools and districts as to whether they're doing it with an open mind or whether they've already decided that they do or don't want a charter, and so they need some protections. Meanwhile, districts say, wait a minute, we do have our interests, we have the interests of all students, and therefore leave it to us to make the decision. And there are a number of issues that are still unresolved. One thing we didn't talk about is this issue of credentialing that teachers in charter schools do have to be credentialed, but only for the major subjects. But in courses like music, art, dance, and so on, you can bring in an outside person who doesn't have a credential. And on one level, that makes some sense because you might have a very talented dancer or pianist who can come and teach the kids. But on the other hand, the California Teachers Association and uh, Patrick O'Donnell make a very reasonable case. I mean, you could be a brilliant pianist. You could be Glenn Gould for example, and uh, the late, great Glenn Gould, so who wouldn't be bringing him, but somebody in his league, and uh, could be just a terrible teacher. That it does seem to make some sense that whoever's teaching kids should have some experience. So we'll see if the governor can sort of square the circle, and there is talk about somehow requiring new teachers to take something, maybe not a full credential, maybe the Commission on Teacher Credentialing will come up with some kind of certification that doesn't involve that. We'll see. So we've been talking about California a lot. Some of these issues are also playing out in other states. And I did have an opportunity last week to sit down with Todd Zebarth. He's the senior vice president for the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. They represent over 7,000 charter schools around the country. And I asked Todd to talk a little bit about what's happening in other states and how California fits into the national picture. I think we are definitely uh, at a point nationally where we're facing some pretty significant headwinds. Um, I, I think it does vary from state to state, but I think the result of Trump winning election, Betsy DeVos' secretary galvanized the left. That led to a wave of people getting elected in the fall, November 2018 elections in several states, new governors, new state legislators. Um, who were more hostile to charter schools than we've seen in the past. And so I think coming into the 2019 sessions, 
across the country, there were a number of states where anti-charter school legislation, which had been introduced in the past, but always had been defeated, um, it now has a real chance of passing because the political dynamics have changed with new governors and new state legislators in office. Which states are you referring to? I think the five states where the threat is the greatest are California, Illinois, New Mexico, Maine, and Nevada. Charter schools, I understand, are like in 43 states. So five out of 43 or 40 plus doesn't seem that bad. Right. So after the elections last fall, there are now 15 states that are controlled by Democrats completely, the governor, the House and Senate. Um, and so I think given the increasingly leftward tilt of the Democratic Party and the push by the unions to make support for charters an intolerable position within the party by any uh, any politicians. Um, our concern is that in those 15 states we may see the things we're seeing right now in California, Illinois, New Mexico, and Maine, and Nevada. And we have seen some anti-charter bills introduced in those states, but they've been able to beat them back so far. just want to ask you about the, you mentioned the Democratic legislatures, but Democrats have been supportive of charter schools. I mean, in California, we've had Democrats throughout the legislature. They passed this this charter school law in the first place. Every governor, Republican and Democrat, have supported charter schools. Yeah, we have a history of bipartisanship in this movement at the federal level and at the state level. Uh, but I do feel, and this goes back a, you know, a couple of years now, uh, I do feel like it's been harder to maintain support on the right and the left. And at the end of the day, that actually has nothing to do with charter schools. It has to do with the increasingly polarized political environment that we're in. And we're kind of, uh, we're kind of in the crosshairs of that. And I think that's impacting the ability of both Republicans to support us, because we all, people often overestimate the amount of support we get from them. And it's making it you know, especially difficult for, for Democrats to support us. Having Donald Trump be a major backer of charter schools and his Secretary of Education, who is not loved, I don't think, by, really on, by many people mm-hmm. on Capitol Hill, that can't help at all in the current climate. It doesn't help at all. No, I think the people who loved, I think particularly DeVos's appointment the most, were the teachers' unions because they could use her to sort of say, we see we're right, you know, it's the privatizers, the billionaires, all that stuff. It's true. Look who our Secretary of Education is. So they've used it very effectively um, to try to organize against charters, whether it's trying to unionize schools, whether it's trying to beat people in local school board elections and state legislative races. They've definitely used DeVos, but, but Trump as well. And just given how divisive Trump is, uh, particularly to people on the left, anything he supports, they're going to oppose. I, my conversations with people about charter schools, people who are liberal are fundamentally different now than they were before he was elected and she was appointed. Before, they really didn't know anything about charters. They would listen and, you know, a lot of the time kind of be persuaded about the, about the value of them. Now, you can't even have a conversation because they just insistently, oh, Trump supports that and DeVos supports that. Well, that's got to be bad. Let me ask you about California then. How important is what happens in California within the larger national charter school movement? So I think it's very important, one, because it's the largest charter state in terms of the number of schools, number of kids. And it's also important because the unions and their allies are looking for you know, places to get victories that they can then take and say, look, they did it here. Um, it's easier for them to, I think, spread things like that than it is to try to get it done the first time. And so 
I think they're you know trying to do some pretty harmful things in California, and I think if they're able to do it there, it's obviously going to be harmful for that state. But uh, I would you know if I was in one of these 15 blue states I mentioned, I'd be very concerned because you can bet that they're going to take that and start pushing it in those other places immediately. What is your main priority then? I mean, thinking about the next year. I think a couple. One is uh, the presidential campaign. We're going to be trying to influence to make sure that you know whoever ends up as the nominee is is in a good a place they can be on this issue right now. And then the other is we're going to be working with some of those states that I mentioned at the outset that are going to be facing uh, another push in the 2020 sessions on a slate of anti-charter school bills to try to work with them to be prepared and to be successful in pushing back next year. That was Todd Zebarth, Senior Vice President of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. Well, you were at this big convention, Lewis, and did you have a chance to ask people whether they're paying a lot of attention to California? We assume that they are. Well, I did talk with a bunch of people on the floor, and I have to say, regular people who are working in charter schools around the country are not really following California that closely. They have their own battles that they are fighting at a local district level and in their own states. But certainly on a national level and in terms of the major advocates, they are looking very, very closely at what's happening in California. Well, we know that our listeners are, so we'll be continuing to follow the developments because it's really important. It's a critical time for the charter school movement and what happens from here. And next week, we'll be looking at math in schools and not just in charter schools, but in all schools across the state. And that just about wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Thanks, Kobe. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you.